Welcome homeowners, home buyers, landlords, and tenants alike. People who just want to be better at living in a home. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Join Madison Radio's Adam Elliott, real estate broker and landlord Ben Anton, as they break down the modern day barriers of home ownership. You'll laugh, you'll cry. And if you're not careful, you'll learn. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'd be a Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from Madison musician Seesaw. Welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. On Facebook, at In the 608. I'm Adam Elliott. And I'm Ben Anton. And as we enter season four. Now right. it's four. Now it's four. I realize you're all going through the whole like year change thing too. I haven't mm. had to write out 22 oh, that many times yet. I've already sent out emails that have said, welcome to 2021. <laughs> welcome <laughs> Just to totally blew it. <laughs> 2020 also. Yeah. What have we been doing for those four years? I don't know. I mean, there's always the thing you could be doing more. <laughs> but I can tell you for sure uh, what we do in each episode of Real Estate in the 608. And that is we bring in a guest to talk real estate with us. We hope to find someone that is smarter than we are, maybe even about a specific topic or trade. We'll discuss the real estate headlines of the day, things are going on in the news. We're going to recap uh, both the highest and the lowest price sales in in the 608 or Dane County in the last month. We'll get you some quick information with the top of the hour tip and the market update. We're going to surround ourselves constantly with those smarter than we are. One of those people we have you on each month is uh, my business partner in Deacon Housing and Dairy Commodities consultant Phil Plord. And we'll also do it by playing artists, musical artists from right here in the 608 because that's what we do. We like to keep it local. And my name is Adam. I'm a homeowner, a user experience architect, teacher, school's back in session again. Another semester rolls out and used to be on the radio in Madison, too. My name's Ben Anton. I used to sell commercials on the radio. <laughs> I, we don't go into that very often. That's our Genesis story, though, is the radio <laughs> connection, right? Is it Genesis? Is that like, yeah. is that like the... Our like, origin story. Origin yeah. story, yeah. like yeah. the bit by a radioactive spider? <laughs> That's right. No spiders. They probably were in the building where we worked, I'm sure. So I used to sell the commercials, yeah. uh, but then I started selling real estate. So I'm a real estate broker and a landlord, as well as a homeowner several times over. Yeah. So this week, who do we got in? You wrote down two different last names of this person. Well, one of the last names is kind of a nom de plume. Okay. If we... Yeah, that's for, that's for real. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that are you? Do you still have a plume when you're a blogger? Uh, I, I I mean, kind of like your keyboard is kind of your pen, but sort of. Yeah. But I don't think anybody actually calls him Johnny San Francisco. No, you call him Johnny San Francisco. I think, though. but his email his email is Johnny San Francisco. It's like it's like initial San Francisco J D San Francisco. So oh, I so gotcha. I, I think. Others have likely called him Johnny San Francisco. Okay. But we will have in with us Johnny Sanfilippo, who I'm, whom I would describe, if I had to just one sentence, a medium-time real estate investor and a real estate blogger uh, online at granolashotgun.com. Okay. So medium-time means in between full-time and part-time. Is what no, you're I was saying. thinking I, like in between like small-time and big-time. Oh, I got you. Okay. Like I, I think of myself as kind of medium-time. Oh, well, right? I would say it's you're, not, you're big-time. You're full-time. But full it's time. not all I do. It's not, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's not like I just sit back and... Can I get a specific percentage of what you do? No. <laughs> it all depends on the day. Yeah, all right. What's been going on since last time? Man? Going to the bar with the money from a jar. Walking there because I'll have a problem with the car. 
teased this last uh, last December. I talked a little bit about like I had some like monopoly move going down, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I bought the house next door. Yeah, right. Which has created now as a monopoly move. I got four, right. I got four in a row. Did you put houses or hotels up yet? No, we will. <laughs> we still have little green houses, but do they have apartments? They don't have. There's not apartments. There's not like you apartments. You go straight from the houses to the hotels. Yeah. It's pretty I, limited thinking of Parker Brothers. Isn't yeah, because we it's talk, we talked about the missing middle, right? right? Yeah, it's, it's all the way back to the monopoly board. They're either like single family or hotels. There's none of those like missing middle for. Four units in between. Anyway, right. I bought the four unit next door. It was cool. something that I've been like. You talk to the neighbor for the nineteen years that you live next door, and you're like, "Hey, whenever it's time, whenever hey, when it's time, and that Jim, happened. when it's time, Jim." And it timed out perfectly in that I sold Jackson Street last year. Uh huh. Right. Um, that was your old house. Right? My old house. Yeah. And I was able to roll some of the proceeds from that Jackson sale into the other Main Street property. So that was one of the big December mm-hmm. moves. The, there was also, and you know, when, when you're just like keeping a bunch of plates spinning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you just keep things spinning and you're like, hey, when it's time, when it's time, you know, when it's time, right. I'll, uh, I'd love to buy your house when it's time. Well, I had all kinds of these things, like the time was all oh, at the same time. More plates? There was more plates. Okay. Um, so I also happened to buy a little uh, fixer on Second <laughs> Street, oh, which wow. is just... Just across the avenue from us. So between Rhonda and I and Deacon Housing, there's we bought five houses in the last several months and and we're going to this is I told I told Evelyn. Yeah. I said this this period in my life, Evelyn, will either be the one that makes me or breaks me. <laughs> so so you're gonna follow along. All right. Is there any trademark to the word monopoly? I think I think we need to work this into like what this is called <laughs> that you're doing. No, and without but, getting sued by well, the, the mono- game maker. <laughs> monop- as long as we don't capitalize it. There we go. <laughs> lowercase M Monopoly on Main Street. Uh, what's been going on for me? It's a new semester uh, with school, so we're back in session. And I don't know what it is. So Woodman's is the local grocery store to us. They recently redid their gas station. And with their gas station, they have a little service shop, too. Like oil change. An oil change. And maybe that's all they do. <laughs> but think, for I some think that's reason, all they do. that is like the hottest spot in town. <laughs> Every single time I go by there, and it just happened today as I did that, there's at least seven cars lined up to get an oil change. And I'm wondering, what is it? What have they got that's Wait, making this happen? Is it 1999? I th- yeah. I mean, it's a 1999 oil change, which is a reasonably good deal. But, like, is that enough really to line up seven people deep to wait for they the oil change? They must be quick. I don't know what's going on. Something's happening there. <laughs> they've, got, they've got a secret. Well, I hope, that it's a, I hope that it's a benefit to society uh, in the big picture because there was a pretty good taco restaurant they tore down. <laughs> it's true. To make, <laughs> to make room for, for the oil change place. All right. So uh, that's what's been going on in my world. Wondering why cars are lined up so often like that. We'd love to hear from you on Facebook. Why, <laughs> why do you think the line is so long at Woodman's East at the oil change? Were you on Facebook today, Adam? Uh, maybe I tipped in for a we, moment. We got yeah. tagged. We got tagged? We got tagged. In a good or bad way? In a great way. Oh, okay. Do you remember when we were featured on, on Josh Spreider's 
in the 608 feature on Channel 3. Th- Channel 3. <laughs> I do recall because I think I just saw him on TV the other day. I was like, hey, there's that our was guy. the guy who did a there's story on us. Yeah. So in December, we yeah. found this cute, we'd, be, we'd looked for a little bit in the fall, but in December, we found a super cute little condo for him, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember. And yeah. he put up some before and after pictures today, okay. as well as tagging some of our previous guests. So like, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, real estate in 608, look at me and my condo and here's some before pictures and after pictures he had jessica from sort pro painters oh. as well as the boyd brothers come to do all of his flooring so i shared that post oh, on, get out. on, That's uh, great. on facebook you get to have a look at at what uh, josh in the 608 um has done to the little before and after pictures of his entire uh, little townhome. Oh, that's excellent. I mean, at this point, we're, we're getting close to, have we talked to every single type of person that might engage with some improvement or fix or sell on your house? I think we need to have insulation. Insulation, okay. And we need to have roofing. But okay. maybe those are two that we're going to look forward to here in 2020. Too. All right. So the podcast is now kind of like your guide to anything home improvement. It's like a monthly magazine <laughs> that you can, like, for your ears. Feels like we've been saying that for a little while. And you can go back, but you can go back and reread. It's like a magazine you can pick it up again. This is true. You can say, hey, they talked it. Well, let me go back. See how that Dorotea did her kitchen. Oh. See? I, I, I like that. It's I, like a magazine in that yeah. way. And and it's it's like it piles on top of each other. It's not just like one and done. You can like keep going and revisit. It's like a reference set that you might keep on a bookshelf next mm. to your encyclopedias. How much should we charge for the set? Well, that's where we, that's, you know, my money brain started taking over here. How much is, can we get for the this? The money today is in subscription services. Everybody knows that. So that's true. So we'll fit. Yeah. And yeah. as of right now, you get it all for free, baby. There's no cost to any of this. From the headlines, Paisans is closed again Man. for almost a month now. Gosh, all right. Closed closed shortly after the Surfside condo collapse in Florida. Oh, yeah. And after work shored up the questionable structure in the parking garage, they reopened. But then the building owners were lax in providing the city with ongoing monitoring and structural data because they were not paying for it, mm. uh, and, and forcing the city to order an evacuation closure again. So according to the Paisans and their, and their web presence, the, the owners lay blame squarely at the feet of the building owners, suggesting they will open when the building owners pay their bills. Man, I mean, I get it. You go out to a dining experience. You don't know have to think about whether the roof is going <laughs> to come down on you or not. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's the roof that's going to come down. I think it's the building that would come down on the roof oh, of Paisans. But that made that was a little bit of a parallel. Did you see the story in Waukesha? So not too far to our east. Uh, Waukesha Condo uh, Association receives a raise order that would cost each condo owner forty thousand dollars. So they so there's a there's a, def, a defect in the structure. Again, the building at risk of collapse. Oh, so the city says, don't go in there. In fact, you you then there's nothing that can be done to fix it. You need to tear it down in 120 days. Oh my gosh. See, the, in this one the owners of the of the condos are in fact the owners of the building. They are. Okay. So it is on them and you know the retired guy who is probably the condo president, you know, book yeah. book of Vista Phase 2. <laughs> All of a sudden now, not only is their property worth nothing, right? But they are on the hook, likely, for 40000 They will They will lose every single penny they had in value. And 
walk, hopefully be able to walk away from it losing only an additional $40,000. Do you think that's the only, is that the outcome that's going to like literally happen? I mean, realistically, who has $40,000 that they can drop in 120 days to fix their space? They're going to have to like well, foreclose and, most, and tear most the thing people, down, right? Most people might lean on the equity in their home <laughs> if they needed fast $40,000. Right, yeah. But that's not happening But here. there's, no, e- there's that, no equity. That equity yeah. has literally disappeared and, oh, will be re- and will be torn. So, um, and then... Insurance companies, you think like, is there an insurance for that? According to the the article, which was, it was a TV news, uh, TMJ4 out of Milwaukee. Uh, But they have yet to see uh, or find any of the owners that that found... uh, that their insurance offered them anything. Man, I'm guessing a condo has a certain type that's not apartment rental. It's not house yeah, you own insurance. You, you are responsible for the, usually... Uh, the condo documents would dictate exactly what you are responsible for. Right. But you as the individual are generally responsible, like, from the drywall in. Yeah, right. Right? Yep. But the structure you own cooperatively along with your neighbors. Okay. So anything that happens inside, let's say, inside the wall, if there is a problem inside the wall, that would be the job of the association to repair. Okay. But you are a small part of the association. So it puts the risk for some of the larger repairs and the and the more holistic repairs, the risk is is spread out over the association. Mm-hmm. Then but it does trickle down often to the association unit owners via special assessment and monthly fees. But here you've got something where just the whole thing is done. Gone. Useless. Oh man, that's a scary story. That makes me <laughs> Well, you know, it makes me really that concerned. Be, that God forbid that could be one of our high that could be a high rise condo in Madison. Yeah. ADUs, accessory dwelling. A units. correction. Yeah. Because we're serious about our work. Mm-hmm. Um I shared our episode on ADUs when we'd met with Matt Tucker at the city mm-hmm. uh with a fellow real estate pal. I often say Silverberg, like everybody knows him. But he gives me so so anyway, Silverberg, I share it with him because he's talking about an ADU. Right. And he wanted to correct me that I when I said McGrath developed Union Corners. Oh yeah, yeah. And then McGrath was developing the Wonder Bar site mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. south side there. He needed he needed me to make well, he wanted to tell me, and it's it's correct, that Todd McGrath developed Union Corners. And that company failed and folded. And since then, Todd has, in fact, died. Oh. But his brother, Lance. So it's like, it's like, it's, okay. it's splitting hairs a little bit from one, from so, from pretty far, from pretty high up. It's splitting hairs. But Todd McGrath, Union Corners, now deceased. Lance McGrath. Okay. Is the different, one who's doing different company, Park, different, different company. person, Southside Development. Okay. Lance. I mean, that's okay. We're all about editorial corrections. If we say something wrong, we're going to try to fix it as best we can. Yeah. And that's okay. I, he, may, he may be the only one that that bothered, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, facts are facts. We got to get those, it right. <laughs> those are the facts. All right. Uh, how about the lows and the highs? There's no way. Lowest 
price sale in Dane County single family in a relatively slow month. There was 351 single family closings versus I'd say usually there's like somewhere in the 600, like when I do my mm-hmm. little reporting, uh, six to 700. Uh, lowest price, a 700 square foot home on Northport Drive, 120K. It listed at 149,000. Six days on the market, cash sale, competing offers, right? Mm-hmm. So here, I always try to have the lesson. Like, what's the takeaway, Ben? Here's the takeaway. It listed at 149 Yeah. Sold in six days. For under that, though. For under that. Because there is no answer to the question, well, how much over did it sell for? How much over are houses selling for these days? How much over assessment are, are houses selling for these days? There is no answer because it, it, the, the ask has to be correct. If the mm. ask is correct, then you might say, yes, houses are selling for about this much over generally. But if people ask too much, here's perfect proof that it won't go for over because they asked too much. It will, in fact, go for less. Properly priced home might sell for over. But you ask too much, it might sell for less. All right, that's the low. Highest price, and we're looking at, we're in the mid, we're mid-January now. I was pleased that this house sold for only $3.13 million because otherwise it would have been incorrect for me to report that uh, that the highest price sale of the year was 3.25. Oh, right. If you yeah. remember, that was a, mm-hmm. a Liz Lauer uh, closing that happened last year for the highest price sale in 2021. Um, this house, however, though, was was listed for a 3.25, sold for 3.13. It is a three-bedroom, five bathrooms, built in 2003, more than 6,000 square feet on Woodward Avenue in Maple Bluff. So if you have $3 million for your house, there's probably nothing you couldn't afford to add to your house, right? True, yeah. And I've, criti- I've talked about this before, like the comment, making it into the comment section. Which is like the description of what the, the place The description of like. what yeah. the place yeah. is, the, is, the, is the built-in coffee maker and the steamer. Like, like, like a clothes just, steamer? No, or like, like I, think, I think it's for steamer. like cappuccino. I think, oh, I'm guessing, I'm it's, guessing it's like, like, a, like a tops $1,000 item. Oh. Like, I, I have no idea what those cost. I, I will never have one in my house. But <laughs> but I'm guessing if I had $3 million, it wouldn't be hard to add if I oh, wanted it. Anyway. I don't have that, but I would actually consider a built-in coffee maker in my house as my one luxury item. <laughs> That's not a bad pick. In just a moment, we're going to welcome our uh, on-the-phone-in-studio guest, our real estate investor and blogger, Johnny Sanfilippo. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to mention Strong Towns. Uh, Strong Towns is a, before, is a yeah. blog, think tank, real estate organization. I've shared some of their stuff on Facebook. Um, they have coined terms like the missing middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it with uh, with city planner uh, Matt Tucker. Mm-hmm. It's come up a bunch of other times. Johnny has been like a guest on their podcast. Like oh, so, so okay. I call it medium time. But he's kind of, but he's kind of big time. He's edging big time. Yeah, he's, he's kind of big time, medium time because he's approachable and fun. We'll learn, um, but also kind, but but also so like strong towns, like that's that's legit. Like yeah, yeah. And he's given talks. Okay, you know, like he he does this. So this should be good. We're going to talk about strategies and like 
strategies that like regular folk can use to get into real estate and talking about like ways to approach your own path to medium time real estate investing. But we're going to take a break quickly for the top of the hour tip and then be back with some dispatches from the front or that same feature I talked about, like what did Ben and Rhonda learn this month after getting knee deep, maybe even neck deep in new purchases. Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. On the phone with us is Asher Messino, whom I understand just met with a kitchen remodeling contractor. I wonder if they will have a tip for us based on that meeting. Ben, you and I have been talking about different countertops and we've had some disagreements. I shared a granite countertop with some flecks of coral or peach that I felt softened my otherwise very masculine gray (laughs) and white kitchen. And I shared those photos with our Lauer Realty Group Facebook page. I was a little put off by the responses. (laughs) Well, I will say that I don't think it was just the coral flecks in your granite. But I think what what many of us were saying was that the choice of granite that you chose was super busy. And it seems like the busy stone countertops where it's just like a bunch of different colors, maybe pretty dark even. Like I think that that's been on its way out for a couple of years now. It seems like people are going more with light colored countertops that are not super busy looking. Thinking of the majority of my clients Most of them are super happy to see any kind of stone countertop, but in terms of color, it just seems like the design style now is that people don't want a super dark, busy countertop. All right. Well, we will look forward to seeing what you decide to go with. Perhaps you could share a photo uh, of your countertops. Do share those pics and we we can include them when we post uh, post an, an episode. I will. Sounds good. Thank you, Asher. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Real Estate in 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. Uh, I'm Adam Elliott. He's Ben Anton. And Ben, it's time for Dispatches from the Front. I think that's a book title that I stole. But I think it's okay. It sounds like a book title. Dispatches from the Front. Uh, Certainly not all quiet. On the Eastern Front. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this little feature is going to be an airing of the combined travails mm-hmm. from any of our five late 2021 purchases. And then you said they should all have clever nicknames. So here's some alliteration for okay. you. Okay. The First Street Foreclosure. Okay. The Talmadge Tax Lien. 
<laughs> the the rambling ranch on Ratana. Like, that's close down to by my your house. house. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> the the Lil Fixer on Second Street. Okay. Or the Monopoly Move on Main. Oh, right. I, I <laughs> the alliteration is good here. Yeah, I think you're except, onto something. <laughs> so anyway, so the things we learned in the last month, I was almost kind of like cynical about how many. People were saying, talking about the supply chain. Yeah. Right. The, su- yeah. the supply chain. I get it. It means you can't get stuff. Can't right. get stuff. I just ordered cabinets uh-huh. for, for Mona's house, um, but I'm learning that that's going to take three months. Aye. It's going to take three months to get cabinets. It's going to take two months to get an electrician in there. It's, so we were afraid of having all this work to do, mm-hmm. but in reality, our work will be metered out. Mm-hmm. Because of the supply chain issues, because it's going to take eleven weeks to get our new windows, which we're going to get from Stoughton Lumber, so that's going to be mm-hmm. a new. Uh, all of those things are going to make the process go slower, but I think that that will also aid us in in being busy, but only reasonably busy at any given point. Mm-hmm. You're getting all new stuff, new cabinets, and such. I mean, yeah. that takes some time to, like, order, unless you're especially doing custom stuff. It takes even longer. But we're talking time beyond those things. That is what the current status is. So as much is. as it's frightening to think we have five houses to work on, um, that work's going to be spread out simply because we can't get it all done at once. Okay. Um and then the other tip was is kind of kind of almost back to the house that Rhonda built. A little a little look back. Um, she paid about eighty thousand dollars for that for that lot or mm-hmm. that teardown, if you remember. Um, and this last month, I did some. I I was learning a little bit more about vacant lot purchasing, and and in fact, I had combined two people because there was a house coming up on Ivy Street over off of Fair Oaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lady that wanted the house, and I had a guy that wanted the lot, and we thought that maybe mm-hmm. together they would be able to come up with enough money to to oh to did bot. these people know each other? They did not. I no. was the I you was the, the link. Yeah. I was the I was the kind of like she says, I want to buy this house, but I don't think I can afford it. But it's coming with a lot next door. I wonder if I could sell it. And I said, Well it would be hard to do that if you can't buy it in the first place. But let me see if I can yeah. bring these. So anyway, that lot had never had a home on it and therefore it did not have city water and sewer. So here's a little tip on buying vacant lots. It's better to buy a lot that had a house on it and tear it down than it is to have to buy a vacant lot that never had a house and to then have to tear into the city street. Oh, right. Because that would cost you. Yeah. To run water and sewer. Right. So if you could, you could pay $20,000 more for a house and tear it down. And still be ahead because that's going to cost you at oh, least $20,000 yeah. to cut into a perfectly good road right? Yeah. and bring your water and sewer out. So there's, there's a little something about buying vacant lots. Had not thought about that. Did the people work together on it? The, the, that's still pending, maybe. The price went so high. That they just bounced. That, that it was not even an option, oh. unfortunately. Well, I mean, that was a creative approach to it. I kind of like that idea. It kind of told me what 2022 is going to look like, and it is going to be frightening. Oh, boy. Okay. That's I, as went with your prediction for what 2022 is going yeah. to be. There's More about be that unknowns. in the market update.
On the phone with us is John Sanfilippo, real estate investor, housekeeper, and blogger, available to you online at granolashotgun.com. Johnny bought two Monona houses with me in 2021. He's a frequent contributor to the Strong Towns uh, real estate organization blog, think tank, I might call them, and has been featured multiple times on their podcast. He has built his own real estate portfolio from very meager beginnings, pontificates via his own real estate and city planning focused blog, Granola Shotgun. Johnny San Francisco, as he, as I and I, I would imagine others have lovingly dubbed him, uh, is based in San Francisco, California, and this year, with my help, became a Monona property owner and landlord. The one thing we don't know yet, and you, and you know how this works, is we have to find out if you are fun. Yep, and there's only one way to do that. we got to ask some questions and play a game. We're going to play a game called The Way It Used to Be. There used to be, there used to be, there used to be, there used to be, used to be nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see. Car in every driveway, swinging every tree. People can't stop talking about the way things used to be. The way it used to be is a get to know you game, a quiz game, a Madison history and environs trivia game. Johnny is at a little bit of a handicap here as he as he has yet, has yet even it, to see the houses that he bought right. in person. But he's a listener. So most of the answers to these questions have been answered or have at least been covered. In previous episodes. Are you ready, Johnny? I am. All right. Question one. We interviewed Christine Marks of Step Inside Media on the podcast last year. You enlisted her and her magic camera to help create your own marketing materials for the first Monona rental when it was done. Having her prepare both still photos as well as the Matterport Dollhouse 3D model. You're going to have to dig deep into your recollection of that episode. Her husband's family owns a tavern in Monona named the Silver Eagle. For the bell, name the Monona Grove High School mascot. Oh, oh, oh. Um, See there? Uh, the, Silver the, Eagle. There we yeah, go. Well so, done. So it's also like Jeopardy, where if you listen to the question closely, you, you might get, get the, the answer. answer. Right? Yeah. So, all right. Good, Good job. job. One yeah. bell. A guest in, in our first season, a man about Monona, Lindsay Wood Davis, join us. He is, among other things, a great storyteller. He told the story of his buying, selling, buying, and then selling again inside three years. He played an instrumental role in the launch of a volunteer-run, low-power FM community radio station in Monona. Either the name of that radio station or the either the actual call letters or the, or the kind of casual name of the radio station, Johnny? Okay, I have listened to every one of your podcasts multiple times because it is fascinating to me. I think that was the the voice of Monona, the yeah. WVMO, yeah, that's the right. voice of Monona. Well done. The 1950s and associated post World War II baby boom meant tremendous population growth for Madison and the surrounding cities. In what decade did the village of Monona population grow from 2,544 to 8,178? This increase of 231% was the largest increase by percentage of any community in the state in all of Wisconsin history. For the bell, name the decade in which this record-breaking growth occurred. 
Okay, I think this is one of those questions that both of the houses that I bought in Monona were both built in the 1950s. And I think that's where you're heading with this question. Yeah. <laughs> I, hadn't nice. e- I hadn't even thought about the fact that your, your little uh, Shore Acres enclave there was, was, was probably physical evidence of that very growth. But yes, 231%, which is, that's significant. And as you might imagine, yeah. uh, as it as it continues to hold the record, so we're going to take a yeah. quick break for the market update, and then we'll be back for some more questions about the entree to medium time real estate investor with with Johnny and Justin. Sometimes I'm sure, oh, sometimes my head's not right. Snowing, snowing down, snowing down, down, slow into the white. Hi, this is Liz Lauer, founder of the Lauer Realty Group. I take pride in having highly educated realtors who are passionate about their clients' pursuits. That passion translates into buying the right home, condo, or investment property, or when selling those same properties for clients, creating a highly stylized marketing plan that yields the best results. The core of the success comes from continually educating ourselves, our clients, and staying focused on key topics and strategies that will help us advocate for them like no other firm. Real Estate in the 608 is a window into our world that gives our listener market updates, current lending trends, home maintenance tips, remodeling help, and so much more. When you need our services, give us a call. Till then, sit back and enjoy and learn. On the phone with us, Asher Messino. It's time for the market update. Any real-world experience, like have you, have you written an offer lately that, that you feel may be indicative of the season to come? Yeah. Hi, Ben. So it is really busy right now, but it sort of feels like it's not busy right now because we have so few listings out there. Was it like 250 some in all of Dane County this past week? So there are so many buyers looking right now. I've actually been getting contact by, contacted by a lot of buyers so far this year who are planning to purchase this year. Um, and we really just don't have any inventory right now. So a lot of people are holding tight. But when a property does come up for sale, there the buyers are like vultures circling it. Like a lot of houses are getting multiple offers and things are getting really, really competitive. I think it's going to be pretty similar to last year. January is a great time to list and sell those oddball houses. So remember that when looking at them. And uh, unless you really like to, maybe don't be the one that buys it. There are so few houses that people, I mean, just like last year, people would list super bizarre houses not in great condition and they would get eaten up. People were happy to buy these poor condition, weird houses. Keep in mind, Sometimes your biggest asset is going to be your flexibility, uh, and flexibility in many cases might mean just waiting for the right one. Uh, But thank you very much, Asher, for the market update, and we look forward to talking to you again next month. Great. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. His name is Ben Anton. My name is Adam Elliott. You can find us online at inthe608.com. We welcome uh, back our in-studio, well, on the phone, literally, but, you know, in-studio, we call it guest today, uh, Johnny Sanfilippo, medium-time real estate investor and real estate blogger. Johnny, thanks for being here again today. I'm really excited. I've been listening to this podcast for a long time. So we we, we have not actually met Johnny. Is that, I, I think. 
I think, I mean, but I feel like we get, there, there's probably like an online or like a, like an audio rapport here. Like it'll, it'll seem like we're palsy and we are palsy, but we have yet to meet. Um, and, and you have not been in either of your new homes in Monona, like physically, right? Yeah, this is a COVID situation. And just when we thought it was getting better and I started making travel plans, uh, things got a little funky again and it just seemed easier to do, uh, do things uh, remotely and virtually. It's worked out really well. And I think a lot of your listeners might think, hmm, some guy from San Francisco is starting to buy investment properties in the Madison area and they're going to start to like conjure up images of who they think I might be. Uh, I am a professional housekeeper. I clean other people's homes for a living. I'll spend a little house painting or a little gardening, but like I'm, I'm a maid. Like I'm a cleaning lady. So if you're thinking coastal elite, I clean their houses. Like that's who I am. So like, I want everyone to be clear about that. Um, so I was uh, young. It was a long time ago. I'm currently 54. But when I first arrived in San Francisco as a young person, I wanted to buy property because it was extremely important to me to start to build long-term security and and uh, and financial stability because I, I grew up in a family that, that really wasn't. I realized very quickly that <laughs> when you show up at a bank and you ask to talk to a mortgage person, <laughs> I'm a skinny kid with fluffy hair and I'm like, I'm a self-employed housekeeper and I want to buy a house in San Francisco. <laughs> you, you can imagine how that went. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that conversation didn't go anywhere. So, um, uh, I decided that in those particular circumstances, the, the best option for me was to, to live as modestly and as cheaply as I possibly could in a place like San Francisco, which meant renting, and to purchase a property someplace else that was still a lot less expensive. And it was a dual strategy. Like, I wanted to stay in San Francisco. I wanted the economic opportunities and the culture and the things that I love about being in San Francisco. But I still needed that long-term security and, and property ownership. And so I actually went way out into the countryside where property just got a lot cheaper. And I, uh, and I wound up uh, buying a piece of land and building a little cabin. And so, like, people in Wisconsin are familiar with, like, the idea of the modest lake cabin, you know, out in the North Woods or something. That was my strategy, and I did that. Uh, on a cash basis, because nobody would give me a loan. Nobody would give me a mortgage. Nobody was going to give me a construction loan. I mean, none of those things were a possibility for me in my circumstances. So I I, I paid cash for a a small piece of land out in the country, and I built a little 480-square-foot cabin. It was very bare bones and very simple, but there was never a mortgage. You know, it it was something that I could kind of uh, I did it in, in pieces, you know, whenever I had a little extra cash, I would build another phase of the cabin until it was done. And it took a number of years. And it was never like architectural digest well magazine, but it did everything I needed to do. And I thought of it as a um, like a holiday house or uh, a retirement cabin that I could go to when I was old. I would always have a place to fall back on. And it also became a kind of um, income property that I would rent because I wasn't there most of the time. And so I had a mortgage-free cabin, I had a little rental income, and I was actually learning all the little things that you have to know as you become uh, a property owner and a landlord. And it really allowed me to cut my teeth. And that wasn't easy, but the but the individual parts were simple enough and cheap enough that I could do it on a cash basis.
What was your next step? Once I uh, had that that plan B, that fallback uh, cabin, that I thought, well, okay, I could always I could always go there. I could always retire there. It's it's a it's it's better than not owning anything. Then I began to think, okay, I really, really do need to have a long-term secure situation in, in San Francisco. I really need to own the thing that I live in here because it's, um, once you get evicted or once you're forced to move because the rent goes up, there, it's a bad situation. You wind up like having to leave and it's, it's not good. But again, there was just no way I was going to be able to buy a house in San Francisco. So, I gathered a group of friends together. We were all young. Uh, none of us had a whole lot of money to play with. You know, like, you know, Sam was a school teacher and people had like, you know, kind of entry level office jobs. Nobody was setting the world on fire with their, their salaries. But we were each focused on the idea of owning something. And I identified a small apartment building in uh, not a great neighborhood, but like good enough. And I said, you know, if we each chip in, we could afford to buy this whole building together. Like, no one of us could do it, but there was an economy of scale. So if you take, uh, like, a two-bedroom, one-bath detached house with a yard, that's going to be a lot more expensive than the same amount of space in, like, a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. And if you try to buy, uh, like, four or five of these little apartments spread out in different buildings and different complexes, that's going to be a lot more than if you just buy a building, like the entire building. Mm-hmm. There's an, it's like going to get a multi-pack at Costco. There's just this built-in yeah. um, savings for, for buying the whole building instead of individual units. So I said, if we all got together, we could buy the whole building, and it would be a lot less expensive per unit, and we might actually be able to get that to work. And we still had other problems like financing is a whole thing. Like, you know, again, you have to like approach a bank and you have to give them what they want to see. You can't give them what you need. That's just not how the world works. So we wound up approaching a bank and saying, we're investors and we want to buy this building. It's in a kind of a bad neighborhood. It's not a great building. It's, you know, it's seen some wear and tear, but this will cash flow. And we want to be slumlords. That's what we want. We want to make money. And the bank said, oh, yeah, great. I have the forms right here. Perfect. And then. Yikes. Come a little bit closer. Hear what I have to say. So we, we basically purchased a building and then rented the space to ourselves. And we paid ourselves rent. And we paid back the loan collectively. And it's an unorthodox arrangement, but that's what got us to own in San Francisco. And then gradually, little by little, as we got older, uh, we fixed up each of our individual units. We made improvements to the, to the uh, common areas of the building. We had it cleaned and painted and whatnot. And we're all still here. Like we're basically growing old together in this building. And one of the other weird benefits that we haven't really thought about is that, like, when you start to take your kitchen apart and, and renovate that kind of stuff, you don't have a kitchen for months, you know? And Truth. But we had each other's kitchens. So, like, yeah, right. I would just, like, use my neighbor's kitchen, you know? And, and then when they did their bathroom, they had my bathroom. You know, like, it was, it was this weird collective activity. And here's the deal. $900 a month 
is what each of us were paying to own property in San Francisco. Um, and I couldn't do this all by myself. Like, that was not going to happen. But when you get people together in a group, then you can do things you couldn't do individually. So I'm thinking about your listeners in, in Madison, you know, who were, like, maybe not making a lot of money, maybe struggling, saving, but every time you save more, the property values just go up faster than you can save. Do you know anybody that's in a similar boat? Can you get a couple people together? You know, buy a duplex, buy a little three or four unit building. This is one of the ways that you can move forward. It's not for everybody. I know a lot of people have a lot of hangups, like that's just not something they're interested in. Uh, it goes against the culture of the pioneer spirit, but <laughs> it, it was the best thing any of us have ever done. Ben, are there places like that in Madison? Is there enough of those? I don't. I think that you've talked about like there's four units and six <laughs> units and, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm seeing I'm seeing what Johnny did as not too dissimilar. I mean, it's what I did was different, and i I bought a I bought a multi unit home. That was my first home. In some ways, it's exactly I, I did exactly the same thing. I bought a two unit, where you can buy two housing units for cheaper than if you bought two single housing units, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's not like on on House Hunters where where this guy buys a multi-unit and lives for free. Like, that's garbage. I don't know where that happens. But but I that's was... A, that's not real. Yeah, that's a, that shows a scam. That's a scam show not. anywhere, right? Yeah. But, but just like Johnny saw an economy of scale, A, yeah, yeah. by buying those housing units at once or in a, in a grouping, um, and then having the cost of ownership spread across multiple units. The idea of of living in a multi-unit property is is some of the mm-hmm. other other uh, podcasts or there's a, there's one called Bigger Pockets in particular and they use a lot of a lot of nicknames and strategies and but a house hack is what that's called or they what what many would call it <laughs> where you where you live in a multi-unit and have others one or more Help pay your mortgage. Right, you live and own that multi-unit. You live, you live in a rental property as an owner occupant yeah. okay. in one unit, while you allow the other units to subsidize your your living. Here's the normal trajectory. Like this is how I understood property. What what like the, the normal thing is, you buy the biggest most expensive house you can possibly squeeze yourself into. You soak yourself into debt. You leverage way up because everyone says, you know, property values are just going to keep going up forever. You deserve granite countertops. You need a three-car garage. You don't have a bonus room? How do you hold your head up in church on Sunday? (laughs) That's, right? The Lutherans won't approve. Okay, whatever. Uh, Then you get a little older. You make a little bit more money. Now you need a bigger place, right? So what you're doing is you're constantly just putting yourself into a larger debt to get a bigger, shinier, fancier thing. And then, of course, you know, you need the boat. You need the bigger truck, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I keep asking myself, (laughs) what do I really need? I need to be warm and dry. I need good people around me. Um, and then you can take that. So like, I'm still living in the same one bedroom, 700 square foot apartment I've been in for, you know, since the nineties. Right. And, uh, what do you do with that extra money? Cause as you get older, you know, you, you, you do manage to squirrel away a little savings and whatnot, especially if you're living modestly, are you really solving for 
your physical needs or are you trying to aspire to some kind of status? And mm -hmm. uh, is the financial stress and the debt really working for you? Some people, it works great. Other people, it, it, it doesn't end well. How much do you really need? Okay, now that goes back to why now, as, a, as an old guy, am I in a position just to buy more properties? Well, it's because instead of taking all that money to get the bigger, fancier place with the bigger mortgage and the higher taxes and all that, um, I, could, I could save that money and then I can deploy it to buy other properties, which I gradually mm -hmm. slowly have done. And a lot of it has to do with timing. Like the economy goes up and it goes down and then it goes up again. And what most people do is they take on debt on the rise up because they believe that property value is just going to keep going up forever. And then there's a market correction and then they're in trouble because there's a big squeeze. Um, if you live modestly and you save your money, you can't time the market. There's just no way to know what the, I mean, this past couple of years has been crazy. I have no idea. Couldn't predict of any of this. But when the crash arrives, it's really obvious. Like, you know, when the economy crashes, like 2008, nobody was confused about that. That's when you can buy because suddenly all the stuff that you could, couldn't afford in the past is on sale. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can take advantage. You've got cash where nobody else does. Things are on sale at a better price. You can, you can buy something, a modest home, give it a little love, fix it up, find good people to occupy it. And it gives you another, an, a, another form of security in a different place, in a different way. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam. His name is Ben. On the line, Johnny Sanfilippo, medium-time real estate investor, real estate blogger. Johnny has been with us telling about his path to real estate investment and ownership. Um, I think we're kind of... I, <laughs> there's something about this concept that we've, we're talking about here is on sale <laughs> and like how to frame that. And the, the, the way we've been looking at this is like if you can live uh, modestly with the in your means, you know, not like a rock star for whatever you need. But if you can live modest, modestly, um, you save your money and you end up you can end up buying at a time when we'll call it on sale. But maybe when the market is a little down from what it is, like whatever down is going to look like in the future now. But I kind of like this, just this idea of like on sale. Well, there are going to be times that real estate is on sale or there may be times like with the monopoly move on main street or the little mm -hmm. fixer on second where you have been nudging a deal and when it's ready, you can be ready too because mm -hmm. you've been living simply and, and, and making it easy. I thought the Monona houses were a good example of the Burr strategy in the way that you purchased and then used the, le used the first one to leverage the second. Could we, could we jump ahead a few years and talk about that? And now as a, as a middle-aged guy, as somebody who has been living modestly, who has some other rental properties and other places, I was able to build up some savings. And my initial plan was to wait for the next market correction to buy another property um, when the economy went south, because it always does. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the crash of like 1987, and then we had like the dot-com bubble pop, and things got a little bit weird around 2000, and then we had the crash in 2008. And I just assumed that if I waited long enough, we'd have another one of these corrections, and it would be just a good time to buy. But it hasn't happened. In fact, we've had a melt up instead of a, a crash. And I... I had this money that I thought I could use when the next correction came and the correction didn't happen. That's when I started to think about 
buying a property uh, farther away uh, from California where properties are just a lot less expensive. Now, I happen to have family in Wisconsin, uh, in Beaver Dam and in Adams. I've got cousins out there. And they were the ones initially who uh, sort of pulled me in that direction. Uh, And I was able to pay cash for the first house in Monona because houses are just so much less expensive in Wisconsin than they are, you know, in, in other places. And once I paid cash for the first house, did some renovations, got it cleaned up, made it a much nicer home than it was, uh, and found amazing, terrific tenants. That meant that I had a pile of equity. I had a a cash, a mortgage-free house. And I wasn't planning on buying the second house so soon. This is where Ben Anton comes in. He is charming and persuasive. And he's like, John, there's a house right across the street. And it's <laughs> it's a good house and it's affordable. And nobody else was bidding on it. It was a little 1951 grandma house, about 800 square feet, two bedrooms, one bath. Not in very good shape. I mean, you know, the previous owner hadn't really done any maintenance ever (laughs) and it needed love and nobody was bidding on it and the price just kept dropping and I'm like okay so I borrowed against the equity in the first and there was 100% equity there was no debt uh, on the first Monona house and I paid for the second Monona house across the street by borrowing against the first one I called it the Burr strategy and I teased at the acronym but let me just fill everybody in the Burr strategy is buy renovate Rent, refinance, repeat. There's a cautionary tale here. I want people to to pay attention to the details because you need to do all the letters. Uh, I remember in the in the uh, in the mid 1980s when I was a kid, I remember a family friend was really excited about the Burr method. Might have had a different name back then, but it was the same thing. Uh, he was uh, he was a dad. He had a wife. He had three kids, and he he was a machinist, right? So he he had like a factory job. This was back east, and he decided that he was going to be like. Uh, uh, a real estate mogul. So he borrowed against the equity in his own home, the home that he lived in, and he bought a rental property. And he got it rented out and it started the cash flow and he was really excited and then he got a second rental property. You know, he this was, the 80s, there was a time when property values were going up very quickly. And I think in about four or five years, he wound up with eight rental properties very quickly. He was not paying attention to all of the R's in the Burr. He wasn't renovating them. He wasn't maintaining them. Mm. And when he rented them, he wasn't really thinking about who was going to live in those homes and how they were going to treat the property and whether they were really going to be able to pay the rent the way they were planning. And he expanded so quickly. He took on so much debt. He skimped on all the particulars. When the crash of 1987 came, not only did he lose all of his rental properties because they weren't performing and they were they were there were maintenance issues, and but he also lost his own home. So I want to be very clear. You can absolutely do this, and it works beautifully, but you can't rush it. You can't skimp. You can't cut corners. You have to take your time. You have to do your homework. You really, really have to do this carefully. You know, Don't just take on debt willy-nilly if you've never done this sort of thing before. Take your time. Be patient. There's a learning curve. 
first, is the building functional? Like if you have a property where there's no hot water and the furnace doesn't work and, and there's broken windows and the roof is leaking, you're not going to have happy tenants, right? And, sure. and you're not going to be able to find and keep good tenants. The other thing is that if you have bad tenants and there are bad tenants, your neighbors are going to hate you. <laughs> These are not good things. None of this is good, right? You have to take your time. You have to make sure that the, that the property is well-maintained, that it functions, that it looks good. You want to make sure that you have great people living in it. Um, you know, wonderful people come in, all sizes, flavors, shapes, colors, you know, and so do bad people. And you just have to, like, figure out how to very carefully select good people. It, it's not about... Uh, discriminating against all the touchy-feely things that people are in a panic about. It's, it's about just finding decent people. Like, are they solvent? You know, are, are they going to respect the property? Are they going to get along with the neighbors? Um, and there's an art to that. I walk around all day, all night. I walk around. There's another point I want to make here. Um, I, I think that some of your local listeners might be getting really angry right now about a carpet bagging, out-of-state investor buying up properties, driving up rents, driving out, you know, competing for. That's not the message that I want people to take away from this conversation. Uh, if I could figure out how to buy property in an insanely expensive and competitive place like San Francisco. It's possible to do it in Madison, but you have to have a different attitude. You have to have different expectations. You have to start out with something simple, and then you have to work your way up to maybe what the, the thing that you really want, right? And it, it, getting mad doesn't get you a house. You need a plan. I hear you, but I, w I would also point out the fact that the second home that you bought was sitting there. Everybody in Madison had their chance. Nobody wanted it, and that's mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. and that speaks to the back to the dreams of like the well, why not? If people are yeah. paying hundreds of thousands of dollars or and fifty thousand dollars more than asking, or ridiculous you know escalation clauses with no inspections and doing all these things to get the house they want, why wouldn't they? bundle up the monetary value of all that risk and put that into a renovation. Why wouldn't right, why so, wouldn't someone yeah. locally say mm -hmm. instead of risking $50,000 or going 50,000, how about if I work my ass off and use that $50,000 to turn this kind of stinky place on shore acres into something that's really shines. Yeah, so I don't I paid $205,000 for that second Monona house. Uh, and $205,000 is about as cheap a house as you're likely to find in a, in a neighborhood that is that high quality with those schools and you can walk to the lake and all that kind of... I mean, it's about the best price for an act, a single-family home that you're likely to find. And, and nobody else was bidding on that house. So like, there are opportunities to buy property if you are willing to, to, to adjust your expectations. Like if the gold standard inside your head is the five-bedroom place with, with, the, with the pool in, in Sun Prairie, then you're not going to find that opportunity. Right? And again, it's not where you're going to end up. It could just be where you start. You know? Maybe you're going to start 
in a, in a little two-bedroom, one-bath, 800-square-foot house that is in rough shape. But you, know, you could live in a, in a nasty-looking house for a number of years, gradually clean it up, mm-hmm. make those baby step improvements, and then end up in a place that's much more uh, beautiful and livable. And that could be your starter home. I mean, that's what those 1950s homes were. They were they were designed and built at a time when when the, the entire country understood that you start small and simple. And people would raise four or five kids in those little houses. Like, I, I have friends who grew up in, in, in these little 1950s tract homes where there would be mom and dad and five kids and grandma was living in them <laughs> with them and they made it work. The boys went down in the basement. You know, you closed the door. Uh, the girls were in bunk beds in one room. Grandma had another room. You know, somebody would sleep on the couch. Like that was a normal thing to do in 1951. And we've gotten to the point where like none of that is culturally acceptable. It's totally off yeah. the, the list. Nobody's even thinking about that sort of stuff. And is that just it? Johnny and Ben, is it is it just like the norms of what people expect? And is there like a greed factor in here that causes people to fail in these situations when they I don't, don't see have it as to? greed? I see it as just ignorance, but not in oh. a bad way, but just like a you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. And let's take a break for Phil's phone in, and then I want to come back to Johnny maybe with just some parting words and uh, and say thank you for his joining us. Phil's phone in. Phil Plort is my business partner in Deacon Housing, president of Madison's Blimling & Associates, a dairy commodities consulting firm, a division of Dairy.com, and host of the brand new podcast, The Dairy Download. Keeping an eye on the faraway and diverse markets is what he does. Seeing how it might affect real estate here in Madison is what he does for fun. Here he is with a look beyond the 608. Hey, Ben, it's Phil with a view from beyond the 608. Inflation remains in the spotlight, with government data showing consumer prices in December up by more than 7% year over year. That's the hottest pace since 1982. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has been talking about withdrawing fiscal stimulus. And the question around interest rates is not whether. Instead, people are asking when, how many increases this year, and how high will rates go? Traders believe the central bank will raise rates four times this year, taking Fed funds up by about 2%. We've already seen mortgage rates move higher. As of this week, government data showed a 30-year fixed mortgage at 3.45%. That's up from the low of 2.65% we saw just about a year ago. The median house in Madison is going for about $330,000. Assuming a 10% down payment, Every 1% advance in interest rates moves monthly payments up by about $130. So let's say mortgage rates go up to 4%, basically equal to the five-year average pre-pandemic. That would take the payment on a $330,000 house from today's $1325 per month to just under $1420 per month. It's basically $95 more per month or roughly $1,100 more a year. Is that enough to send the housing market into a tailspin? Look, price always matters, but I'm not sure 4% wreaks havoc. 5%? I don't know. You have to go all the way back to 2011 to see the rates that high. But if overall inflation continues to escalate, the Fed may have to go there. Stay tuned. That's all for now, Ben. We'll see you again next month with a view from beyond the 608. I got the blues because my baby left me by the San Francisco Bay. 
the ocean liner had gone so far away. Oh, I didn't mean to treat her so bad. She was the best girl I ever have had. Oh, she said goodbye, made me cry, gonna lay me right down and die. Well, I ain't got a nickel and I ain't got a lousy dime. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott. His name is Ben Anton. Uh, Joining us today has been Johnny Sanfilippo. We've been describing you as a medium-time real estate investor, also a real estate blogger. Um, Johnny, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your journey of real estate. It's, It's an interesting way, and I think we saw some patterns as to how one could do this. I know I tell you to go to Facebook and I tell you to do all kinds of things and no one ever does it. I invite you to, to Johnny's blog, granolashotgun.com. Um, there are, there's a story, a little bit about a story inspired by my request uh, that he join us. Uh, and, he, you know, he talked about the elephant in the room and the Johnny's from San Francisco, um, the, the carpetbagger's guide to, uh, to Monona real estate investment. But also... Um, if you go back in time, A, you'll see some of his insights as it relates to city planning and, and ADUs and streetscapes and sense of place and a lot of the things they talk about uh, at Stronger Towns. But also, uh, you can have a look at some of Christine's work as he tells the story of that first purchase in Monona uh, from modest grandma house purchased below the average sale price in Madison, although in a better than average place in Monona, um, and see the transitions that happen there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Johnny, what, what would you leave them with today? I, I, I want people to understand that whether you're the renter or the landlord, you can either have an adversarial relationship with each other, or you can have a mutually beneficial relationship with each other. Um, one of the reasons that I was able to buy this apartment building with my friends in San Francisco is that the landlord was a good guy. He, he understood what we were trying to achieve. He worked with us. He helped us make it happen. He made money in the process, but he also allowed us to achieve our goals, that we work together to solve each other's problems. It, it doesn't have to be adversarial. And as a landlord, and it, I've had good landlords in the past. I've had bad landlords in the past. I know the difference. Every single one of my old tenants, as people move in and then eventually move out of my properties, they've all gone on to become homeowners. And um, you can help people achieve their goals uh, at either end of that relationship. It's your choice. You can choose to be a prick or you can choose to be a good person. And and it's up to you to, to navigate that. So, you know, this is my, my philosophy. A lot of times getting to that win is, is listening, is understanding and, and being able to put yourself in the shoes of the other party. What are they trying to get out of this? What am I trying to get out of this? And where does that, what does that Venn diagram look like? How much overlap might there be? I would love to think that not all of my tenants go on to be homeowners, but the ones that the ones that do, I am often able to help them even more so in like the actual process, more than just letting them out of their lease early. I, I literally go along with them. Um, but I, I like your honest approach and like that it's not it's not rocket science. But we thank you, Johnny. Uh, I'll plug you one more time, the granolashotgun.com. Do check it out. It's int- an interesting read and, and something that 
pretty much pretty much whatever he says I agree with. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense, Johnny? Thank you, Ben, for all your help. <laughs> <laughs> and Thanks, thank Johnny. you. Take care. You're listening to Real Estate in 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Find us online in the 608.com. Ben, what was that? When I had the idea to do a podcast, I was thinking a lot about other real estate podcasts and the things they talked about and that they were heady and not accessible mm-hmm. and that there was way too many acronyms. <laughs> uh, that was that was our first real attempt at like speaking to the investment-minded person. But also in a way, I think that that someone who just owns a home or just rents, it might help them uh, have a bigger, like a view from above. Because understanding all these things helps helps us grow. Yeah. And we thank Johnny Sanfilippo, who gave us his story, essentially telling us how he went about this. And it wasn't that complex. It's not like no. you need a master's degree to figure out how to do these things. And um, I really liked that. I, you know, my moral that I got from him is like, you can win if you're a little kinder to each other and try to make something that benefits both of you. Yeah, and, and to to the living simply. I this this sounds a little cocky, but I I had said one point. I thought it was clever, but I don't know. Um, some people say live simply so that others may simply live, mm-hmm. and I had I had amended that to Good like bumper sticker to like <laughs> live simply so that others may rent. For from you and and help you with your retirement. Oh, that's, um, a, that's a longer bumper sticker. It's a but longer bumper sticker. Like you get the idea. Like, <laughs> like I keep it simple. Some people like Rhonda and others have called that like that I'm super cheap or that I'm a tightwad or like that I don't like to spend money and I don't. Um, <laughs> because it has afforded me the opportunity right. to do all these other things. Yeah. Like buy other houses. Yeah. But but I do vacation sometimes too as well. Mm-hmm. I have I have gone on vacation once or twice. Well, this was a curious episode. I learned some, you know, I get more and more every every time we move along here. Um, people can find out more if they want to check out the newsletter, right? They can check out the newsletter. as is less technical usually, mm-hmm. but it's the twenty second, twenty second read. It is written on the twenty second of each month and delivered uh, on the twenty second in easy to digest segments, taking no longer than twenty seconds to read. It's a valuable thing. You had the thing about Nest Home oh, Thermos. Yeah. That's in it last was, time, you and know, I passed that along to folks who were very appreciative. That uh, oh, it was. Uh, I just got an email yeah. today <laughs> because their ship because supply chain Did issues. They run out? Yeah. No, that's just they said it's coming. It's going to oh, take good. a minute. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I could, and I don't like spy on people. But like, I could, I can see often like how many people click through or how many people. Um, that's just good analytics. How many read? Track of how what many works. people open the newsletter? Yeah. And but like. Um, but like, so usually like like thirty five to forty percent of the total number like open it, which is which is pretty good for a real estate newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see that there was like maybe even like thirty people, which would be like maybe five eight percent of all of you like that literally clicked through and read up on that. So I don't know how many people bought it. Um, I know a few did, and uh, there you go. So, I mean, a $5 Nest thermostat is yeah, a pretty good deal. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and Steve Pipson, 
who joined us. He had his own episode from Focus on Energy. He is not there anymore. No, he's not. He's moved he's on. He's moved on. Bigger, um, better things. But you could go back and listen to him and and the voice of Focus on Energy in in our archives. Uh, but yeah, five bucks. Those are like 150 bones. Good deal. Um, we want to say thanks once again to our guest, uh, Johnny Sanfilippo. I think um, we're, we're friendly enough now, everybody. We can call him Johnny no, San Francisco. San Francisco is good yeah. now? Okay. Johnny San Francisco. Is, is, <laughs> I'm worried that that's a mob name or something. <laughs> what is the one with Michael Keaton? <laughs> Um, with the mob, the mob, Michael Keaton and the, and the um, Johnny Dangerous. Oh, Johnny Dangerous. Johnny Dangerously. Well, Johnny San, Johnny oh, San Francisco. Thank you for joining us uh, and being the the smarter than we are yes. today. A thank you to the uh, musicians and bands that you've heard uh, throughout real estate in the six hundred eight today, including Ren Claw, El Donk, and the Oak Street Ramblers. Bob Westfall, Seesaw, and the Mad City Jug Band. And we'd like to say thank you to our listeners who have stuck with us through Real Estate in the 608 into our fourth season. Fourth season. Welcome and thank you. Hey, thank you, Ben. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Real Estate in the 608 is a podcast for homeowners, home buyers, landlords, tenants, people who just want to be better at living in a home. If you can't get enough real estate in the 608 between episodes, like us on Facebook at In the 608 or visit inthe608.com for archived episodes and show notes. Remember, until you tell us, we don't know. We appreciate your listening as well as your ratings and reviews at your favorite podcast portal. We also welcome feedback and topic suggestions via email to Ben at benanton.com. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fists curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. And come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game? You're always playing at your favorite arcade. Could be taking the Baby, won't you buy me flowers with that money spent on whiskey sours that you're buying at those wasted hours? And come on, baby, won't you talk me sweet? Instead, I'm staring at this empty seat because you got someone else you'd rather me. And we could be. Come on, baby, won't you prove me wrong? Cause I
I've been waiting here all day long and so I'm singing you this waiting song